There is a sticky pressure on the desk. Oh no. There oh. is a sticky pressure on the desk. Exactly where my wrist goes when I have the mouse. Oh now, no. Did now, you have something I... sticky on your wrist? Well, see... It wasn't come. Now, before well, we see... go anywhere, any further, <laughs> it, it isn't come. Not because I'm embarrassed about the idea of coming at my desk or even on it, but I would be mortified at the suggestion that I wouldn't mop that shit up. Well, is this is this a situation where like you you know what it is or do you just know what it isn't? Because like I my first question was going to be is this an identified or an unidentified sticky patch? Uh my my guess from all the monster cans strewn about the house <laughs> because we don't have ADHD in this house. Um, oh, no, no. That it is that. I would guess, but it is so perfectly positioned. Because, you know, among the, the other abbreviations that are wrong with my head, uh, I have the old OCD and the old um, autisms as well. So that is driving me up the fucking wall. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. shouldn't have said what's wrong with me yet. There's nothing It's not, there's no stigma, but there is sticky. Look, there's no stigma, but also as someone with many things going on in my head, you know... I, I get it. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say I'm in like fully working order. Like, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't charge a mint condition Look, price for me. If there was such a thing as an MOT for people, I'm pretty sure that like the mechanic would have a look around and go, mm, "I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure how roadworthy this. Is. Like, clearly functioning, but like, mm, oh, you know, but- probably needs a tune up." <laughs> One fucking look at the blasted wasteland that is my spinal column and I'd be a write-off. I shouldn't be doing anything. Oh, dear. I think I move through, like, sheer force of spite. Like, I'm disabled to fuck. I shouldn't be walking, let alone professionally wrestling. I think at some point my brain is going to realise what my body knew ten years ago and I am going to fall apart like a cartoon skeleton you know where they like, all their limbs yeah. fall and yeah, they're just a pile of bones with the head on top that's going to be me Br- brute force and spite are the only things powering most disabled people I know, it's just it's just, nah, nah I'm not, not going to let it get me until my brain catches up and goes, oh yeah, that yeah, it's the very picture of mind over matter and yeah. we're supposed to be in the middle of a heatwave at the moment but it's Yorkshire it has been cold as fuck my joints hate uh, that it's been cold as fuck down here as well is it cold down there at all? yeah, yeah it's oh. been rainy, it's been all over the place yeah, I saw people tweeting about the uh, the wind It's been proper windy. The point is, my knees are fucked, and there's a sticky patch on my desk. How's everyone else? Doing okay. Getting by. Yeah? Yeah. Fantastic. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, A project I've been trying to get off the ground for a couple of years is finally coming together, so I'm excited. I've I've got that sort of productive energy. I'm ready to work on things. Having one of those weeks. Um... Yeah, speak, oh, speaking of projects, the day this podcast goes out, <gasps> uh, yes. the new Vampire Survivors DLC is out. Yes, um, Tides of the Fascari. Tides of the Fascari. Uh, obviously, I, I mentioned last time I didn't write the bestiary for Moonspell. That was Lawrence, uh, who also does writing uh, with Vampire Survivors. But I have returned for the bestiary for this one. 
and I'm not apologizing. <laughs> For one of the entries, I'm not a pot. And the thing is, no one listening will have to guess which one it is when they read it. And I'm not sorry. I ain't sorry. You shouldn't be sorry. Never, never apologize for any of the things you've done in this. Oh, I'm never um, apologizing for anything. Mark my fucking words. Uh, I have... am. Pr- I'm so horrifically proud and ashamed of that have, entry. It's good. Have good. you had a Have you had a chance to to check out the new DLC? Uh, I. So. You get certain builds. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. like the updated bestiary to have a look. It mm. didn't actually fucking occur to me that I could play it. <laughs> I, so I was so focused on work <laughs> that I opened it, looked at the bestiary, had that open for like days, and not once did I think, oh, I could I could have a look at now at see I am I'm in the opposite position, whereas I got an early build that did have the playable bits of it, but didn't yet have the bestiary bits of it in there, because as with the last uh uh, last DLC, the bestiary stuff goes goes sort of into the build just before it goes out. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I've been playing it, and basically none of the bestiary has been in there yet. But I've been having a play, and it's been really interesting. That's a shame. I think I think they're trying to get the because um, when the the uh, when one point launched, like mm. the, the complete vampire survivors, they didn't have um, translation. They didn't have localized. Uh, text mm. for the bestiary and I know that um, this time around it was kind of immediately sent off so they might yeah. be uh, doing that um, but yeah yeah, I'm, I am excited yeah. about it I'm really happy to be back doing it because it's just a, a, a joy it's yeah. some of my favourite writing I am writing for another game uh, that I can't yet talk about, I've signed things that one's going to be incredibly interesting so yeah, yeah, I am uh, available for work, I guess. Now, uh, having played the the new DLC, like I, yeah, I'll I I can talk a little bit about it, and I'll leave yeah. it until uh you know next week to really dive into it when people have had a chance to play it themselves. This is such a smooth transition. This is so smooth into game discussion. I love look this. look at this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really like this new DLC. I mm. think I might enjoy it more than the Legacy of Moonspell. The first new character you unlock has a really interesting uh, multi-weapon level weapon leveling system uh, that is really creative. It doesn't work like any of the other like weapon upgrade paths in the game. It is comprised of some very powerful weapons with a very powerful upgrade, and then the ability to start collecting those same weapons again after you've upgraded them. And I've yet to work out whether you can upgrade them and combine them a second time, perhaps? I'm very curious what's going on there. Uh, It's real real neat. Um, I really like the the level design of the, the new map. I think that there are definitely some areas that are a different kind of challenge to what was seen in in Legacy of Moonspell. You've got these areas like pretty narrow maze-like environments. Like there's one that I keep thinking about that is literally a hedge maze that has some like very narrow passages in it, which obviously limits your ability to manoeuvre and dodge in the ways that you would like to because you have more sort of limited space to 
navigating, and that creates some interesting challenges. I appreciate the sort of return to, like, you know, Legacy of Moonspell was very, like, snowy, and that definitely had its own appeal and was pretty distinct visually, but this sort of goes back to more bright greens and more sort of, like, grassy outdoor kinds of environments, but it does a lot with colour that I really enjoy. And some of the unlock paths for unlocking some of the secret characters are really amusing. Generally, I am really digging it, and my opinion of the new DLC basically boils down to how I felt about Legacy of Moonspell in a lot of ways, which is, I got so much value for money out of out of Vampire Survivors that I'm more than happy to every few months go, cool, there's a little bit more game that I can add into the game for a couple of quid, sure. And much like the first one, this definitely feels like it justifies a couple of quid for an optional extra batch of stuff to explore. Um, mm-hmm. I continue to love Vampire Survivors, and I'm glad that it is continuing to give me the ability to give that developer more money over time. Yeah. I mean, really, the <clears throat> the the price of it for the hours you can get out of it, it is absurd. It is absurd. You know, the DLC is super cheap, and I could assure you that it certainly ain't content, like, cut from the game. I mean, the fact that everyone got to see the content incrementally added in early access, you know, demonstrates that. That's the thing, like, I put, like, 120 plus hours into the base game before any of the DLC happened, and probably longer than that, because I've played... That was on PC, and then I played loads of it on mobile, and like I keep, I keep coming back around and playing more of it in more places, and yeah, that I don't want to say too much about the specifics because like half the fun of Vampire Survivors and of the you know the DLC is finding things out for yourself, but this has really like it's felt like it had new ideas. There is an enemy that appears to be a Colin the Caterpillar cake. And that amuses me greatly. <laughs> yeah, I, uh... the uh, that is, I think, the only bestiary entry that was in there when I played. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't mine. That was a uh, there's there's a couple of placeholders. I yeah, I it's not dissimilar. The, I, it, it's rewritten a bit. It's yeah. not dissimilar. That's that's uh, fair. The I'm assuming the fact that it's not cake is consistent. It's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the disclaimer has been expanded, and uh, yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah. I, I guess because it'll be out, so I guess I can uh, talk a little yeah. bit. Well, it it'll be yeah, it'll will have been out for about an hour when this goes right, live. So right. uh, the the and the embargo for review coverage will be up. So yeah, you can you you're free to talk about it. Yeah, uh, it's it's the brown recolor of the mucus monster that I'm not sorry for. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one uh but yeah, yeah i've got i could just say like the so that a lot of the monsters are based on um folklore specifically mm. sort of stuff in wales and scotland and, and stuff like that a lot mm. of uh, gaelic folklore just uk folklore in general so that was fun like yeah because Ponsel had a lot of re- like research notes on um different folklore that i sort of used to help get an idea of where their thinking was with some of the monsters and that. So that was an interesting challenge, because with the base game, I could just sort of 
make everything up. But with this one, I tried to rope some of the existing lore into it. The entry for the brownies is one of my favourites. That's different from the the brown monster. Brownies as in the fey folk. Mm. That one's good. The Sander Sundown Clown, which is a bit more <laughs> modern, the European mm-hmm. folklore. That I have I had real fun writing the uh the little song for that. So mm-hmm. yeah, so it was very interesting. I, I like the entry I did for the um what's the fancy word for trolls that isn't troll? Trow. That's it. <laughs> Trow. Um yeah, so yeah, had a lot of fun with it, and uh, I could just have played it. I could just have played I mean, the DLC. Look, say. the fact you haven't played it is good, because it means that we, we can talk about it again next we week can. when you've played it, yeah. and people have had a chance to play it, so I can be a little less spoilery, uh, a little less spoiler-cautious. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's good. Continue to support Vampire Survivors. It's a good Absolutely. game. Absolutely. Uh, Conrad, you played anything this week? I have played one thing. What? What? What is it? It's it's called Ken. Tell us. I yelled, "Tell us!" when you said the title. Yeah. Excuse me, Conrad. <laughs> what was it called? Kenshi. Ah, okay. This is a really kind of deep RPG. Uh, like a classic computer RPG, but. Seemingly without the quests. Like, there doesn't seem to be a quest line to follow. It's more of you are dropped into this world and you can sort of interact and survive within it. There's all of these factions. There's all of this. uh, Apparently, there's a bunch of lore. God knows where it is. (laughs) It seems like you pick up information about the world through interactions and experiences um these different factions have different laws different relationships um you can grow hashish but don't try to grow it in the holy nations or they'll fucking come kill you it's squad based you start with one character and over time you can hire more um you can also buy slaves but once you buy slaves they're just immediately liberated which is nice like, you're not a slaver, which is okay, good. Okay, you're, you're buying people out of slavery. Yeah, you're buying people out of slavery. Okay. Which I'm kind of fine with. Uh, there, There is, like, there are cells and you can imprison people. You can be a slaver in the sense that you can enslave people and sell them to slavers. <sighs> but it doesn't seem like your units can be slaves. Maybe I'm wrong about that. There's so much mechanical stuff in this that isn't readily apparent that I I'm struggling to know entirely what can and can't be done, which is exciting in, in its way, but it is brutal. It operates on a constant time passage thing where you, you know, you can assign your various characters to perform tasks. There's lots of crafting, there's base building, all of this stuff. And you'll be working on something and it moves pretty slow, so you're encouraged then to use the, you know, game speed toggle to increase the rate of thing. But then all of a sudden, if you're not paying attention, there will be a squad of roaming enemies that will just come and obliterate you. <laughs> and so it, it's um, brutal in a lot of ways and pretty challenging. And a lot, I'm doing a lot of save scumming. 
uh, to mm. sort of uh, build up on this. But I've been playing now for about three in-game weeks. I have built a little base that I'm mining resources from and then selling to a neighboring town and building up more research so I can develop more interesting things. And I'm training my units for battle because I know eventually I'm going to have to like venture out and go explore for harder to get resources that are in enemy defended places and stuff like that. So there's, there's a lot of very slow development, but it feels very satisfying. One of the other things I like about it is that it has a passive instruction system where you can give jobs to units to do in your absence automatically. Um, operating machines, moving goods around um, storage so that it's more accessible to other units, things like that. And it's very easy to use. You just have to shift right click. Um, you right click to do an action. If you shift right click, it adds it into your queue of jobs and then you reorder them. And then if a job up above isn't possible to be done, they skip it and move on to the next one down the list. So it's really intuitive once you get an idea for how it works. It's glitchy. You know, it's got uh, a, a bit of jank. There are some times where I'll load a game and it will have retained some bit of information from the game state when it loads. Like I had a an encounter where a group of slavers came and raided my, uh, my fortress and took down one of my guys and enslaved him. And so I loaded the game. And when I loaded the game, the dude was still technically enslaved. Just hanging out, just had the enslaved status on him. And so, and, and this is, it's, it's, it's cool because if you have a slave that's escaped, they can be hunted down and recaptured. And so you don't necessarily want them out in public because people will see them, identify them as a slave, and come try to recapture them. But you can change their clothes and hide them out in a place for long enough that people will forget. Or you could get plastic surgery so they don't look the same way anymore. And it's just this strange post-apocalyptic setting with weird creatures and strange factions that are, you know, somewhat reflective of ideologies that we would see in our real world, just sort of extreme. And it's, for as stressful as it is, it's very relaxing to just let people do their thing and watch it happen and there's a sh pretty intense amount of depth and complexity in it even though there doesn't seem to be anything to really like guide you in a direction uh it's really an open world rpg in in the strictest sense and you could literally just go and take it wherever you want and uh have an emergent narrative but I don't see any established narrative, which is, is interesting and fun. I liked games like Rust, even though I didn't like the multiplayer aspect of it. Um, I thought that that kind of crafting and uh, con, you know construction, base building stuff was, was very entertaining. This is a different perspective. It's, it's third person, like a, a more classic computer RPG but um, has a lot of that same vibe and that same intensity. And I'm, I am enjoying it. It's definitely worth taking a look at. It's been out for quite some time. There's somebody in my uh, uh, chat on stream at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman uh, brought it up to me and 
they were right. It's it's real cool. It's a very cool game if you are into something that is uh, going to punish you, but also give you a lot of satisfaction um, as you develop in. I like it. Neat. Yeah. Laura, you've played everything, haven't you? Uh, I've, I've played a bunch of stuff. A lot of a lot of them I can get through pretty quick, but there's one that I do want to talk about like in some depth this week. Um, I've been playing a game called Road 96 Mile Zero. Uh, Steph, you played Road 96 when it came out, I right? I did. I saw Road Zero. haven't uh, checked it out yet, but I... Uh... Yeah. Did catch my eye because obviously I I really really like yeah. Road ninety six. So Road ninety six for anyone that's listening and doesn't remember is a sort of choose your own adventurey kind of game about trying to get a bunch of teenagers across the border and out of the country in a very clearly America inspired totalitarian state. And the game did a lot of really interesting things with, like, it had really good, fun, weird character writing. It did a lot of interesting stuff with, depending on where you went at what time you intersected with different characters at different points in their timelines. Really interesting game. Road 96 Mile Zero is kind of a different experience. It is somewhat of a prequel to Road 96 in that it is set in the days imminently before the totalitarian regime sort of really stamps its foot down. It's basically in the days prior to the borders getting properly shut down and everything going a little to shit. And it tells a really interesting little story about two teenagers living through the slow, desensitized arrival of totalitarianism. You have... Two teens from very different backgrounds, one of whom is from a very privileged background that is very proximate to the political structure that is about to take power, and one who is much more sort of quickly aware of what's coming and more recognising the need to act now while they can. And it is about the sort of awkward tension of a summer where these two friends are trying to just hang out and get on with living life while kind of feeling that, you know, totalitarianism is coming and having very different feelings about how to respond to that based on the backgrounds they've come from. But also it's a weird game, it's a weird silly little game that is at times part music rhythm game that kind of reminded me of Sayonara Wild Hearts and its tone is all over the place but in a way that I think is deliberate and I kind of like. So, like, the thing I, th- I think I need to stress after, like, talking about the the setting and the, like, concept being quite serious is that because this is ultimately a story about, like, a, a pair of teenagers trying to work out how to navigate their young political feelings and their the, the strain that they're having on their friendship, but also just trying to be teens and hoping that things will be okay and that surely it can't be as bad as it seems, leads to some really interesting use of, like, deliberate tonal dissonance to swap back and forth between, um, you know, here's a fun little escape sequence where, like, ah, privileged kid is, like, roller skating away from from the security uh, guard that dad hired, uh, and then the next minute you're, you know, watching 
propaganda posters being put up on the walls that have literally the same quote that is put up on in the UK um, underground uh, underground trains have is used on their definitely parody uh, posters they're putting up. And it goes back and forth with just like the trying to find joy and silliness and then drastically having to be reminded quite starkly how bad things are getting around you. It is a fascinating little game that is not without its flaws and I know that the uh, the juxtaposition of tone and the way it f- jumps back and forth around tone is not going to be for everyone but I think that what it gets across more than perhaps anything is how important it is to take seriously the rise of you know fascist regimes while you can because they thrive on the the myth of putting a lobster in a boiling pot and slowly turning the heat up. They thrive on things changing slowly enough that you accept the change and don't see how bad things have gotten until it's too late. Through its weird mismatch of tone and gameplay styles, this, I think, does a pretty effective job of getting that across. It is, it is a weird, curious little game. It's only maybe three or four hours long to do a playthrough, but it clearly seems the intent is to play it through a few times and make different choices and see how different things pan out. It's not as big a set of variations as Road 96, the original game, had between its its playthroughs, but there is still something to be seen by making different choices. Uh, my biggest complaint is that it feels like there's a couple of revelations towards the end that were not foreshadowed in any way that could really have been predicted. And that's not necessarily a problem, but it does feel like that exists to push for the second playthrough more than it exists to be a satisfying first experience. But like, that's my biggest complaint about it. It's definitely a different kind of experience to Road 96, but it's it's very charming in its weirdness and silliness put alongside kind of serious discussions. Uh that's that's Road 96. It's not, that zero. sounds really good. Sorry, I Yeah. Oh, dissociating. Um, no, that's that's fair. I I understand. That does sound good. <laughs> I you know, like we mentioned, I loved Road 96. The that idea of the sort of how those two different perspectives process that descent uh does it sounds really good yeah talking about like very very early things like the breadth of perspective you have here is basically protected child of a politician and teenager who's willing to do illegal stuff if if it's needed to change things they became friends before realizing quite how different they were and it creates an interesting space for discussions of how to go about dealing with the rising tide of hatred. It's interesting for sure. Uh, it's worth checking out. Steph, what have you been playing this week? Uh, I'm trying to decide which one I want to talk about first, because both are interesting. You know, I'm going to start with It Comes in Waves. And that's what I'm going to start with, because as far as interesting goes. Now, I've had a bit of a struggle with it, because it's not it's not great on deck 
it's not part of uh, that whole thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of them ones where it's, like, not guaranteed to work. The uh, the one where it gets the yellow tick and it's like, it's playable, but, like, some stuff's gonna be a little jank. I think it's the one that's even less than that. The one where it's like, Steam hasn't learned enough about this. Now, the thing is, is it fundamentally works great, except sometimes when you pause the game, it completely freezes. I was able to get it to unfreeze once by, um tabbing back into the Steam um, page and Mm. then popping back into the game. Didn't work the second time. Now, there's a problem with that. This game doesn't save your progress at all as a function of its design. So, got nearly half an hour in and uh, lost all my progress because it froze and wouldn't unfreeze. Now, not necessarily the game's fault. It has not been built with the Steam Deck in mind, so I'm not going to have a go at the game for that. That is simply to say, I haven't gotten to the end of it. It is short, and I think I've played plenty to talk about it. So It Comes in Waves is interesting. It features permadeath with no saves. If you die, you're dead. When you start it, it genuinely looks like a Star Wars game from, like, the 90s. Specifically, like, a Tatooine level. Um, Everything's a bit Star Wars-y. There are a couple of NPCs in this tiny... I I won't even call it a town. It's uh, two rows of uh, very Tatooine-looking buildings. And they all hate you. I don't know what they did. I didn't, like, look on the store page for the story or anything. I just heard some people talking about it and was like, I'm going to check that out, sight unseen. But they hate you. did something. And they hate you. There's, like, a little stall, fella won't serve you. And that's it. And there's a little speeder that also looks like something from Star Wars, like a little um, vehicle, like land speeder type thing, which I should have figured out was mine before I just picked a direction and walked out into the desert and died. Um, but once I got in the speeder, I was put into this not massive map, but big enough. A map that, well, the in-game map does not show where you are. You got to kind of guess. It's one of those games. You are constantly at risk of dying of thirst. The first meter starts at 100% and it goes down. We are talking... 99, 98, 97, like at that clip, sort of that speed. And there are little water pickups and there are enemies that you can shoot with a pistol type thing. There are a couple of different pistols with different stats dotted about, but they're all largely the same. It's the difference between like single shot or hold and and semi-automatic or whatever. But yeah, you're this little fella, you're wandering around There is a destination, but you can't get to it until you've... Or you won't be allowed in until you've reached 100% on your specimen growth. I don't know what a specimen is, but there is a little meter in the corner telling you the progress of this specimen you have that I think grows a little by time, but I did find a pickup that added to it. And that seems to be it. It's a constant panic to find water pickups, which I'm not sure I entirely like, I certainly don't feel incentivized to explore. If there's a, like a long path with a potential dead end, if there's no water at the end of that, like you've really hurt yourself, put yourself at risk because it's going down so fast. And, you know, 
I don't like survival games in general because I don't like having to babysit various meters. Like, oh, you're sick. Oh, you're hungry. Oh, you're th- I fucking hate that shit. You know, I've looked after kids throughout my life long enough to, like, not want to do that in video games. That's a bus driver's holiday. But this game's weirdly compelling, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's because of the graphics that, like, really make me feel nostalgic for those old Star Wars games. Like, the combat's serviceable. You point, you shoot, they fall over. They shoot at you with the marksmanship ability of a stormtrooper. The world is, is bleak but not not in a way where I'm sort of, where I don't care. Because you can get too bleak with a game to where I'm like, I don't care about this. Why should I care? Everyone's fucking depressed. Let the sun hit it or whatever. But yeah, it's very lonely and isolated as a game, like the, the feelings it evokes. I was kind of super interested in it, despite the fact that it doesn't do very much. You walk, you pick things up, you shoot the occasional gaggle of things. It's not doing anything new, mechanically. And it's not doing anything, from what I've played, narratively even. But there is something, and I would like to see it properly fixed up for Steam Deck. Because I don't like sitting at the computer and playing games a lot. Yeah. And I, I use the Steam Deck a fair bit. And this had me sufficiently hooked enough... And when I say hooked, I, I have to stress, it's not doing anything compelling. There's no, like, gameplay loop um, designed to, to hook you in, like, reel you in. It's not like Bone Razor Minions or, or another game I'll be talking about later. But there's just something to it. There's just something where I'm like, I think I'm into this. Despite it doing things that I tend to hate in a game. And uh, not really offering all that much. But I did want to see the end of it. I do want to see what happens when I uh, grow this specimen. I want to know what it is. I want to know what the specimen is. And I kind of <laughs> don't want to look at the store page now and like get the story. I want to play it first and then find out what the fuck's up with it. But yeah, it comes in waves. Uh, and I'll tell you, one of the main reasons that piqued my interest is it's got that kind of video game name. Now, I've talked about this in my work before. I always bring up A Machine for Pigs, because that's the best video game title ever, as far as I'm concerned. For a horror game, A Machine for Pigs is so evocative, and It Comes in Waves is alluring as a game title. I I love a really good video game title. As weird as that is to be attracted to in a game. Uh, But yeah, it comes in waves. A game that's fascinating for as much as it's completely unfascinating. And that is a thing I played. Neat. I played a couple of other things I'm going to sort of quickly go through. Mm -hmm. I played a little bit of a game that's just released in early access called Spiritfall, which is a side-scrolling sort of Dead Cells-esque roguelike. I will start with the one thing I have that, like, I think really sets this apart, which is its art style. It has a lovely 2D animated art style that reminds me most of Battle Chef Brigade in terms of the fluidity and the sort of like color palette choices and how it's all drawn. It is a very good looking game and it plays very nicely. I had fun playing this game for a few hours, but honestly, 
I couldn't tell you anything this game is doing that stood out or was memorable. Right. So very similar to Cubs yeah. and Yeah. I'm having one of those experiences where I'm like, I played this happily for like a two hour sitting and was like, that was really fun. It's not doing anything original and everything that happened is kind of forgettable and felt a little inconsequential, but I had fun with it. The way it's set up is that when you start a run, you're in a room, you defeat all the enemies, and then you get a choice of where to go next. And much like something like um, Inscription, you can see like the branches of the next three or four choices you can make. And how like, oh, if I pick that route that's going to get me that kind of upgrade, I'll be able to get these upgrades afterwards, but I won't be able to go down that route because it's too far to that side. I like that it gives you that sort of flexibility to plan ahead a bit with your build. It is pretty simplistic. You have basically a light attack, a heavy attack, a dodge, and a throw out some magic cast. And granted, like, the thing that feels a little unique compared to some of these is that your light and heavy are pretty good for doing like aerial combat like you can use a heavy attack to launch an enemy up in the air and then have quite fluid hits while in the air which is nice but the upgrade system is pretty simplistic for each of those slots for like heavy dash and magic you can basically put an element on them and right now there's not really any synergy Mm -hmm. in in the builds Having looked at the Steam page, they have put up an update saying, like, hey, we've heard feedback that, like, lack of synergy is a complaint, and they're working on a system to have some more synergy in builds, but right now it is. What element type would you like on each of your things? Would you like it to do damage over time because it's fire? Would you like it to slow them down because it's ice? But you're basically just picking which element to put on the four the four buttons. It plays well. I don't have any complaints to have about it. Like, nothing about it felt bad. But this is a very competitively crowded genre. This was just kind of forgettably generically good. And like, I'm going to go back to it and play more of it. But like, this isn't Dead Cells or Hades or any of those where I'm like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm desperate to get back to this. I want to get more time into it. I'm going to be recommending it everywhere. It is still clearly a bit early, but there's a promising base here and I'm curious to see what they do with it. What about you again, Steph? What else have you played this uh, week? So I played a game in early access as well. Jesus, I'm, I started playing it yesterday. According to Steam, I've put nearly seven hours into it. Um, wow. So it's got to be doing something. Uh, it's called Gunsuit Guardians, and it's another survivor-like. It is another one. There are many of them now, and this is another one that's really quite good. This is one thing I'm liking. We're at that point with a new genre emergence, sort of the early explosion of a genre, where we've gone through the ones that were like, this is popular, quick, get it out. And we're actually getting the really good ones now because we've had Void Scrappers, which was Mm -hmm. the first one of these I really got into. Then we had Bone Razor Minions, of course, which is my favorite game this year. 10 out of 10, the most positive review I've written since returning to them. And now we have Gunsuit Guardians. Now, I'm not familiar with the developer. The developer is called Matt Glanville. Makes and self-publishes their games. Having actually looked while we were recording at the other games of Glanwell's on Steam, they all look fucking fascinating. 
Ghost Grab 3000 Switch and Shoot, which is a game where you switch directions whenever you shoot. And visually, that one just looks amazing. The art on on either side of it, because it's like a vertical scrolling up shooter. I reckon I'm going to give that one a go. That looks great. But Gunsuit Guardians. So, you know, survivor-like. We're talking vampire survivor's style. We're talking hordes of enemies honing in on the uh, player character while it auto-shoots. Now, one differentiator here, which I've not really made much use of, because I'm basically just trusting the game to deal with what's closest, well, except for a couple of specific instances. You can manually aim. You can't manually shoot. That's still automatically uh, governed by the fire rate. This game actually has reloading as well, so it's not a constant, continual shot. Um, any of these weapons they stop momentarily and reload which is an interesting little dynamic there are times especially early on before you get lots of weapons i say lots you don't get lots uh, but many weapons there will be times where you can't fucking do anything which is interesting now this as i say it's an early access i don't know how much content's being planned but there ain't a great deal right now there is i think like six potential characters looking at the Steam page, just to remind myself, there are 10 weapons so far, one stage, and it basically plays out the same. I've completed a run several times. I've unlocked four of the characters. Yeah, four of the characters. I think I've unlocked all the guns now. You can pick any gun to start with, any gun you've unlocked. So the class doesn't determine the weapon, but there are some that are better with others. They have different stats to these classes. I guess just fundamentally, just to explain the general premise, you're in a gun suit, sort of a Iron Man type of thing, uh, and aliens are, are coming after you. Really, it's sort of um, adorable aliens that look a, a bit gross, but cute with it. Sort of big squidgy sort of uh, octopus things with bug eyes and stuff. And they're all coming at you. Like I say, there are a couple of different classes, uh, like one that has an extended clip, so you can shoot a lot more before needing to reload. There's one that makes fire damage, because enemies can catch fire, uh, burn at three times the uh, damage. Stuff like that. Guns are split into various types, a bit like void scrappers. Got like ballistic weapons, thermal weapons. It's very obvious to me that weapons are gonna be added because one of the upgrades you can uh, get on a run is boosting the damage of sonic weapons. And I haven't seen any sonic weapons. There don't seem to be any in there, um, unless there's something hidden. So far you've got thermal, and they've only got one of those so far. That's the fl- like a flamethrower type thing. And then laser, and there's only one laser at the moment. There's a whole bunch of different ballistic ones uh, that behave differently, like one that just fires a chunky bullet, one that uh, fires two rapid-fire sets of bullets coming out your wings, stuff like that. Very straightforward. None of the weapons so far have been particularly inventive. They all sort of, you know... The flamethrower is represented by fiery rings rather than, like, a spew of flame, but it's it's a flamethrower. And the laser is just a big white beam. Stuff like that. What's interesting is uh, there's um, a layer of upgrades similar to Void Scrappers in that, uh, as well as individually leveling up each weapon, um, similar to Vampire Survivors, you can 
get further upgrades that apply to either every weapon you have, like a 15% damage boost to all of them, and then ones that are split by type. So, you know, 10% damage upgrade to all ballistic weapons or all laser weapons, which obviously you can't take full advantage of at the moment because of the limited amount of weapons currently. But it's good. It's really quite good. The ability to manually aim is useful at times because... Every five waves, a giant alien turns up, a boss, and until you start, like, unlocking some of the permanent upgrades before you properly learn just, like, how to up your damage before one turns up, they can be real bullet sponges. But being able to manually aim so that every weapon you have is trained on the boss is interesting. I don't know how against the spirit of of these types of games that is, but... They've got to start diverging to stand out. So being able to manually train the weapons is uh, not something I've found mega useful, but situationally it's, it's pretty good. Even though there's nothing like truly inventive yet, I do like the way it plays, the way it handles. It's really good. The weapons, you know, you're shooting little pew-pew pellets most of the time, but it's it's satisfying. And if they've nailed one thing... In terms of satisfaction, it's when you've upgraded enough to take out huge chunks of these enemies at once. From about the third wave on, enemies start spawning that explode when they die. And they are way more dangerous to the enemies than you. Because there's not many of them, they're easy to shoot. They don't fire at you like some of the aliens do. And they are nestled often within huge groups of enemies so if you can get like some penetration on your bullets or maneuver it so that like a whole bunch of these explosive enemies are like in a chain you can just wipe out an entire cluster of enemies and the visual of that is incredibly satisfying as is getting strong enough to absolutely fucking muller a boss before it can even charge at you. So yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's not necessarily doing anything fresh, but they have nailed the satisfaction, the gameplay loop. I am a little sad that I've unlocked so much. I think I've leveled up all but two or i may have even done that but basically all of the permanent upgrades i've already done i've done all the weapons i got a couple of classes which will mean i've got two more achievements to unlock and they're all really simple and straightforward like reach a certain level with a certain gun but yeah i think if you're super into your survivor likes which i've certainly any one of these that's good i've gotten super into And I would say this one's at the very least worth keeping an eye on. Because like I say, I don't know how extensive the plan is as it traverses through early access, but I really like what's there. For the amount of content that's there, which isn't a great deal yet, the content that is there is very good. It is very good. The only major criticism I have is you have um, special abilities, which again are not unique to the class. You equip them. And there's a couple of those. Uh... But so far, none of them have been as good as the starting one, which just gives you Mm. temporary invincibility. You cannot do much better than that. Um, There is The second one I unlocked was it fires every weapon you have, rapid fire, um, without cooldown for as long as the ability is active, which is great. 
it absolutely chews through uh, enemy waves and bosses. But nothing compares, especially because this is one of those games where even if you upgrade the magnet, like the ability to magnetize XP pickups, if you move, it's not like Vampire Survivors. It's not once they're magnetized, they will follow you. You have a radius where they will magnetize. And if you move out of it, they'll slow down and stay where they are. And the enemy waves can be so dense that it can be really hard to get to the XP. Unless you've got the invincibility on, in which case, especially once you've got a bunch of weapons and they're upgraded, you fly yourself into the middle of a cluster of enemies and watch your XP bar rack up as you just kill the enemy. The enemies present themselves to you and you automatically get the XP. I've not seen anything better than that. There is... One where you can erect a barrier to block enemies. I've not even tried that one because it just seems like invincibility, but worse. Uh, I tried the the one that fires all the weapons, the rapid fire. It's cool, but it ain't as useful. And I've tried the pheromone, which again is cool. It's basically a decoy. It sends the enemies into one spot. And that's more useful than the rapid fire because it does get all the enemies off your back and, and collects them for easy sort of uh, XP harvesting. But again, it does not compare to being invincible in a game that gives you so many waves and so much potential bullet hell um, and makes it really hard to like pick up items or pick up XP because of the how dense the enemies are. Uh, nothing's better than that invincibility so far. And I feel like that's a bit of a shame because I'm not trying the other stuff out very much. Yeah. Um, but nothing guarantees success and gets you stronger quicker than that, in my experience. Yeah. But yeah, I talked a lot for what it is. <laughs> um, I'm really looking forward to seeing where this goes. Now, my attention you know, span is such that I might forget it exists now for, for, for years. But I like to think... Uh, look, my heart is in the place of wanting to keep an eye on it. Because the visual style's great, the gameplay is rock solid, uh, and I definitely want to check out Matt's other games because they all look fucking fascinating and visually impressive. So yeah, yeah, Gunsuit Guardians, uh, early access, definitely worth keeping an eye on. It looks super interesting. I've got an eye on it too now because that mm-hmm. it looks real cool. Um. I'm going to very quickly rattle through a few other things I've been playing this week. I'm not going to go into any great depth. I'm still playing Breath of the Wild through. There's that Trial of the Sword thing uh, that was part of the DLC where there's some ridiculously difficult challenges you have to do with whatever limited weapons you've been given. And I tried doing that a few times in the past and just never fucking got anywhere with it. So what I instead learned to do uh, this week is I learned how to clip out of bounds. I learned the speedrunning tech that's used for how to jump through walls in Breath of the Wild. And, uh, side note, I really appreciate that Breath of the Wild has not been patched to remove a lot of these things. Uh, the kind of things that speedrunners use in this game have not been patched out, and I really like that, because they're the kind of techniques that no one is going to accidentally do, and people who are doing them deliberately are having fun with them, and therefore they've sort of just left them alone. Uh, So here's how the Trial of the Sword works if you can clip out of walls, is 
it's meant to be a series of escalating difficulty challenge rooms and you get teleported from one to another as you complete them. All of them exist in like a big empty void. So if you can just like clip through the wall and leave, you can just go walk to the big cube in the void that is the final one that will complete the challenge for you. Sounds and so then good. clip in through the wall. And then you've got to feat like, like a final boss. Like there was a Hinox I had to hit around the head with a metal box a bunch because I didn't have any other weapons. And then it was like, yeah, you did, you did the easy mode bit of the challenge. But here's where it gets interesting. There's easy, medium, and hard modes you have to go through to like fully get all your rewards for the Master Sword. The game only checks which one of these like difficulties you enter on. It doesn't check when you complete it. So you can enter, say, the medium difficulty one, clip out through the wall, go find the final boss of easy mode, clip back in and fight that boss, and the game will go, you entered with medium mode and you did a final boss of a run. So we're going to assume that was the medium mode boss, you finished medium mode. Uh, so yeah, I've been learning how to jump through walls, and that's that's been fun and silly, uh, and has made me feel... Very powerful, being like, ha ha nothing can stop me anymore. Um, the only other thing I'll very quickly mention is I, I started playing Dredge on your recommendation, and you are right, that game is entirely my, my kind of thing. Um, I'm a real sucker for... There's so many little minutia, min, uh, bits of minutiae in this that I really enjoy, from like the character building and the tone, to just a very satisfying fishing system, and then having the Resident Evil 4 briefcase to organise my fish in. Um, that game does a really good job with tone. I really appreciate that it has such a sort of concise loop that it's it's easy to find like exit points where I feel like this is a convenient point where I can stop and walk away from it. But yeah, Dredge, Dredge is really interesting. Um, I could probably leave it there. Uh, it's been a fun week for playing games. Um, yeah. Should we talk about some newsy bits before we wrap up? Okay. What have we got this week? Oh, so do you remember a couple of a couple of weeks ago we talked about the fact that um, one of the developers on, on the game Redfall spoke to IGN and in an interview were like, oh yeah, no... As soon as Xbox acquired us, they told us that we weren't making the game for PS5 uh, as soon as we got acquired. Uh, and Microsoft tried to backpedal that and be like, no, 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 there was never a PS5 version and we would never cancel games for platforms after acquisitions. Understandably, Sony has jumped the fuck on that uh, statement. Uh, in the latest back and forth with the CMA, which is the UK's uh, regulatory authority, which... Apparently Sony is still trying to fight them, even though tentatively the UK CMA has gone, yeah, no, we're siding with Microsoft on this. The short version is that Sony pointed at that statement and said, yeah, a developer on Redfall admitted that the game was going to be on PS5 and then Microsoft acquired them and then it got cancelled for PS5. This is exactly what we're saying will happen to Call of Duty. Don't let them acquire Activision Blizzard. Yeah, you're right. It's totally not surprising that they would try to make hay out of this. And here it is. Yeah, I, I, I think we all saw it coming as soon as that statement existed. And you know what? I don't blame Sony for jumping on this because it is honestly the strongest thing that they could point to. That one Redfall developer really, really did not help Microsoft's case there. 
I wouldn't be surprised if with the ongoing stuff with the FTC, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a big thing Sony keeps trying to push with the FTC, because they're basically the only ones not yet convinced. So that happened. What else happened? Microsoft is continuing to announce partnerships with every single person that they can to show how definitely not a monopoly they are. Mm, Brilliant. The latest one isn't a new partnership, but they're trying to make it sound like a new partnership. So there's a mobile phone carrier in in the UK called EE, who apparently Microsoft already had some kind of working partnership with. It's unclear what it, it was previously, but Microsoft is now saying... We will commit to 10 years of bringing cloud gaming to EE's mobile networks if we're allowed to acquire Activision Blizzard. It's got to be conditional. We can't just support your platform. Let us buy Activision Blizzard and then maybe you can have 10 years of people being able to play streamed games over their 4G internet, which probably isn't going to be a great experience. Mm, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Other than that, that Mario movie, it's making a fuck ton of money. Good for them. Like, a, a, not surprised. Nah. A, like, lot of fu- a lot of fucking money. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's one um, that could have been fairly easily predicted. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. The, the thing that's like, you know, it making a lot of money isn't necessarily newsworthy, but like, the, the scale of it, I think, is interesting to talk about. The movie brought in 377 million in ticket sales over its opening weekend, which makes it the largest ever opening weekend for any animated movie. And specifically the one that was pointed out that made me go, oh yeah, no, this is a big deal, is it beat the previous record holder, which was Frozen 2. Which, Frozen was a sequel to basically the the film that, like... Do, for a generation of young girls defined, like, this is the, the our favourite film ever. Yeah. Like, Frozen 2 having its opening weekend beaten is like, yeah, no, this is this is maybe a big... Like, we knew it was going to be a big deal. It's maybe a bigger deal than we realised. Mario as a brand really has that selling power. Uh, so fully expect to see lots of Nintendo adaptation movies in the years to come, because clearly this has been successful for them. And we'll probably end on this. PlayStation wants to make a hot, pinchable controller. (laughs) What? PlayStation would like to make a hot, pinchable controller. Would you like more information, or should I just leave you with that? A hot, pinchable controller. Yes, a hot, pinchable controller. Okay, so (laughs) they want one that its temperature can change, and... You can, I guess, squidge it a bit. There's yeah. a squi- is there a squidgy yeah. bit? So this this came from a patent that Sony registered uh, for a video game controller uh, that could emulate the sense of hot or cold to the user that would be made of a sort of gel-like material rather than the plastic we currently make controllers out of. Sony describes an elastically deformable material to better aid in haptic feedback, which can detect when said, and I'm going to use Sony's words for the material here, when the elastic member is touched, pressed, twisted, pinched, squashed, rubbed, or even in the action of bringing a hand close to the electric, uh, the elastic member. 
Sony wants you to put your hands near their elastic member. Wow. It's warm. It's a warm elastic member. I mean, setting aside the oh, Jonathan. the sheer comedy <laughs> of all of this, I'm a sweaty boy with a controller. Yeah. Like, I get clammy hands, and that additional heat on my clammy hands does not seem like it's going to be a great idea. Yeah, so... This this controller, like, the more we go into it, the more it sounds like a controller I would never want to use. They could use mag- magnetic fluid in it to make the controller change shape, have the gel change hardness as the heat changes, so, like, they could warm it up to make your controller softer. I don't understand quite what they want this controller to do. They discuss the fact you could squeeze the controller to change its temperature to manually deform its shape. The temperature control apparatus may be controlled such that the larger the amount of deformation, the higher the temperature becomes. This allows the user to feel the temperature change corresponding to the deformation. Squeeze it, make it hot. Fucking hell. Yeah. (laughs) Touch, Touch PlayStation's hot elastic member. Squeeze it hard and deform it. <laughs> I want to see it made just because you know that they're going to do that thing where they make the advertising for it all suggestive, but not too suggestive because, you know, they don't want to get in trouble. So it's going to be yeah. like this really weak source fucking uh, like attempts at innuendo. Yeah, someone embarrassingly making an innuendo they don't really want to make about, about oh, it's... Oh, it's hot mm-hmm. and soft. <laughs> get uh, soft. Yeah. Get yeah, hot. So get soft. Apparently, the future of video game controllers is hot and hot and elastic members. You can stretch them. Good for them. I feel like we're at this point where companies are getting really desperate with their ways to uh, uh, their ideas for reinventing the wheel. When it comes to controllers. Well, Sony is anyway. Like the PlayStation 5, the DualShock 5. I guess I like the whatever's going on with the the way the rumble works. It was really good on that Astro Farm. Astro Boy or whatever it was. Astro Farm uh, was a lovely little reference there for some of the old UK listeners. (laughs) That one gun that shot the the plastic balls felt quite good when you you shot it. Yeah, like it was really good for tech demos, but I've not seen many um, games since really take advantage of that. But I do like the gimmick. I did like that good for a tech demo game that was there at launch, the Astro thing. just because I did like that idea that when you were on different textured surfaces, when the character was, the way the controller rumbled changed. I liked that. That was cute, but it's not a game changer, you know? As far as the adaptive triggers go, well, they could go to hell. I fucking hate them. I ha- There is nothing enjoyable about triggers becoming harder to pull, about triggers requiring more effort to pull. With some of these games, like the the resistance gets put up sometimes for shooting just a gun so much that whenever it's on, I tend to look for options to turn it off because it does not add. I have never found a game more fun when the tension on those triggers are taut. 
if it would help, you can turn it off on a system level, so you'll never have to turn oh, it off per game again. Amazing. I yeah. will never get anything out of it. I'm up for that. As someone that enjoys the feature personally, I I get it. I I understand it is not a... Uh... I've got old creaking fingers. I'm not fucking... I'm not fucking around yeah. with that. But yeah, like that is to say, a controller that gets hotter as you pinch it. I, I don't want to say we're at the bottom of the barrel because it's the game industry. It, we get fucking subterranean with that barrel. The only thought I have about this is that very explicitly the subgenre of game developers that make things like Senran Kagura, the like. <laughs> okay, no, I'm now on board with this. Yeah, yeah, there no, it is. yeah, they will make fucking amazing use of a deformable, elastic, pinchable controller that gets warm as you touch it. Yeah, I am now 100% on board <laughs> with it. Like, uh, I'm not super into Senran Kagura, <laughs> but I would play I... one where it's pinchy, warm, warm. <laughs> And with that, that's that's this week. We did it. We're done. We did it. We did Good it. Good for us. Yeah. Well, uh, something, something, pinch hot. Laura, Yeah. what work have you done that we can know? Uh, stuff I've done you can know. Uh, yeah. Laura, Laura K. Buzz, you can find me in all the places. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Um, The main things to check out this week, I think, would be... um. Go, go check out the, the new episode of Access Ability, which is about the PS5's new accessibility store tag system, which is great, with the weird exception of, like, the one tag they keep giving games that isn't correct. Uh, so go give that a watch. Uh, and keep an eye out in the coming days, because I am putting together an accessibility-focused thing for early June that I am very excited about and I, I have wanted to do for a couple of years to so like keep an eye out on my socials because I will be talking about that in the coming days and I'm very excited about that. Um, Conrad, what about you? Oh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com. You can get audiobooks at conradreads.com. Uh, check out Let's Talk About Snacks. It's a podcast where I talk about snacks. You can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. Hello. Yes. Uh, patreon.com slash jimquisition. Uh, that's where you can fund the stuff I do. Um, with this podcast and, and the videos and everything. Uh, this week's Jimquisition was about the microtransactions in Resident Evil 4. Um, well worth checking out. Uh, I ostensibly stream. I know I've not been. I've been having... I've been ill on and off for a while. And um, my schedule's still sort of sorting itself out as I've uh, taken on more work. Um, so... It's at Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Um, and I'm trying to stream when I can. Uh, other than that, uh, obviously we got Vampire Survivors DLC out tomorrow. I wrote the vestiary for that. Um, my next upcoming wrestling dates are, I won't do all of them, but the next two are April 22nd. That's in Preston. That's PCW. Uh, you can get tickets for that at buytickets.at slash PCW. And then it's um, Effie's Big Gay Brunch in Liverpool. Um, 
that one is i know it's a, a tnt extreme are um hosting it uh i don't have a ticket link for them but just google it uh, f is big gay branch liverpool that is may 12th um you can see commander sterling take part in the rainbow rumble there so that's going to be cool um lots more dates are happening have happened will happen um but other than that uh one date you can rely on is that we'll be here next week oh and there's a boston's favorite son oh yeah Sorry, sorry about the Ooh. the typing noises at the beginning of this podcast, Conrad. <laughs> as you edit it, I got overexcited and had to well, post there you it. Go. Um, it is up currently. A new Buston's favourite son, the quote unquote comedy podcast that Conrad and I do with our good friend Jonathan from Road Rules MTV's very own, uh, the starlet himself. Uh, latest episode. The first one we've done in a while, uh, Tub Dumping. It is uh, available now. And that'll be it. We will see you next week. Thank you, as always, for your support and your listenership. And we will see you. Bye. Bye. Bye.